back to the Go Offsys podcast. We are back and closing out the season and getting a little spicy today. We are talking about that HBCU hookup. Now we're talking about all kinds of hookups, okay? The friends, the family, the mentors, the girlfriends, the boyfriends, the network that HBCUs are known for creating. We're going to talk about how we set each other up and our people up for success long after graduation. So let's get into it. We have switched up the round table a bit today, and I'm so excited because, of course, as we've told you guys throughout the season, we need to make sure that we have some HBCU representation, especially since Chelsea and myself went to school with white people. So... Mm. We will start with introductions. You all know me. I am Danielle Cadet. I'm the managing editor of R29 Unbothered and one of your hosts of the Go Off Sis podcast. Always happy to be here with my good sis, Chelsea Sanders. Chelsea, go right ahead and reintroduce yourself, sis. Hello. All right. We are back in it, back at it. My name is Chelsea Sanders. I am the producer and co-host on this Go Off of Sis's podcast. <laughs> and I am ready to dig into this hookup. I have questions. Where do I sign up? <laughs> <laughs> we will get into it with our resident HBCU expert for this episode. So excited to have our sister, Joy Jones. Joy, welcome. Yeah. Tell the folks who you are, where you went to school. Tell us everything, girl. Oh, of course I will. I am Joy Jones. I'm director of client strategy for Vice Media Group. And I am a graduate, a proud graduate of the illustrious Howard University. You know, every time we have an HBCU grad on here, it's always something. Y'all always go, the way y'all introduce your schools is so much, but I get it. I get it. I understand. And I respect it. Like I said, I went to school with white people, so I can't, I, I, I appreciate the, the luster that comes with your school introduction. So every episode we each share, you know, a different set of roundtable questions. And on today's episode, we're going to talk about our best advice from a mentor, because a bit of this episode is going to be the mentorship that comes from the HBCU network, as we also discuss a couple of other things. So I'll start off. The best advice I got from a mentor is mm, to take up space and, and and to not shrink myself in any space. I really want to shout out my mentor, Charles Whitaker, who was my magazine editing professor at Northwestern University, who is now the Dean of Students at Northwestern University Medill School of Journalism. He is the first Black dean at the school. And the best advice that he ever gave me is to take up space and not to shrink myself. One of the things I told him was that I was getting a lot of feedback about in college saying that I wanted to work in black media and a lot of people telling me like, oh, well, you don't know so much of a niche. Like, you know, you want to make sure that you don't pigeonhole yourself. And I told Charles that and Charles pushed back at that and was, and said, there's, you know, just because you want to focus on an audience, there's nothing small about that. And don't ever make anyone make you feel small for that. You know, there's nothing wrong with wanting to target your community and talk to your community and serve your community and do that and take up space in doing that. And I think so much of the work that I've done throughout my career is a result of that advice. I've been able to go into very white spaces and take up very black space. So thank you, Charles, for that incredible advice and love to you as an incredible mentor. Chelsea, let's go over to you. The best mentorship advice you have received? Okay. Well, you gave a very legitimate one. Uh, the people I live by probably up, have, you know, have no reason giving advice. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm just going to throw that out there, but it is who I follow <laughs> and you know who I take my cues from. So I had a, a, a real mix of this because I'm torn between a Beyonce F you pay me or Rihanna <laughs> needed me, just like those two words. 
Or, you know, my tried and true real G's move in silence like lasagna from like Lil Tunchi. So a mix of those three are really the energy I'm giving. Oh, I'm in 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 a mood today, guys. Get ready. (laughs) You know, you know, (laughs) you know, we love a little Tunchi. You know, exactly. You know, I told you hashtag ask them hoes about me. Okay, (laughs) come on, come on. Joy, that is a lot to follow up. But go ahead. Bring us up on the rear. My best advice came from actually a former employee employee year of mine um she was she was very thoughtful and she was very like she was just always very just very she just moved with purpose right Mm -hmm. so in order to help me understand my purpose and work towards my purpose she made sure that I did my readings in terms of like she recommended a bunch of Esther Hicks books for anybody Esther Hicks and Abraham when we're talking about manifesting what you want and leaning into your purpose Mm -hmm. meditating and putting forth the work journaling Mm. journaling, journaling, writing it down. That is just really a conversation between you and your, your paper. Nobody has to see it. Mm. Nobody should see it unless they've been nosy. Your mama. No. But um, <laughs> it's, just, it's, it's just a conversation that you declare out loud via your written communication. And then it's also a way to hold yourself accountable for things that you want in your life. Yes. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yes. I want to start off because as I've said throughout the season, I went to a a very PWI. You guys know I love my husband and he is a very proud HBCU alumni. I don't think I will introduce it the illustrious way that, 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 so Hampton grads, don't be mad at me, but my husband graduated from you all's home by the sea, Hampton university. And I say that because I feel like I'm married to the mob, right? Like I feel like now that I've married my husband, that it's come with a whole family of Hampton alum, which has really been quite a blessing to me, especially coming from from a a white school. I do feel like I've really now kind of come into this this whole community that's amazing. But I have to say, my husband does this thing that drives me crazy Whenever we are out, it does not matter where we are, y'all. We could be on the street. We could be at the grocery store. We could be at the pharmacy. We could be wherever. My husband will see a Black person and be like, oh, I think I went to school with them. And I'm like, <laughs> you didn't go to school with every Black person. <laughs> One million on Black like, you just, that just You can't. That, that Black man in the garage did not go to school with you. And I'm so used to going to school with such a small group of Black people, right? That he, and he'll push back. He's like, how you know? How you know? And then look, and then five minutes later, they do know each other from Hampton, right? See? It's crazy. See? And so, now, now, now you get egg on your face. And now, right. And now I got to <laughs> shut up. So, Joy, I want to talk to you about this because when we were talking about you joining this episode, Chelsea shared that you had, she was on a Zoom meeting with yes. you. You had a Howard shirt on. Says, repping like, loud and proud. Repping and like, loud oh, this, and proud. Oh, you want to talk the, about this? In the, in the rooms and the Zooms, <laughs> repping loud and proud, okay? So, so Joy, t- talk to me a little bit about this you know, energy that y'all have as HBCU alum is just like, you know, everybody, you know, every black person. It has to be because of Howard Hampton, Spelman, Morehouse, something. Talk to me about this. It's educate me. Educate us. Well, I, I just want to clarify one point, Miss um, Chelsea and Miss Danielle. I was not loud on that Zoom. <laughs> I, again, real G's moving silent. Okay. Like Levine, okay. So I was minding my own black business repping for my university. Okay. Okay, it was Amen. when a Hampton Institute graduate started getting her feelings about my t-shirt. <laughs> and she decided to be loud on that call. <laughs> but I can confirm, you know, it does, it does kind of happen. We kind of do look at every black person and be like, did you go to Howard? No, no, no. You were in my English class. I know you were because it happens quite frequently. I was at Macy's at the jewelry counter with one of my good girlfriends to help regret. And she did this to Jim Jones. Not Jim Jones. (laughs) Not Jim Jones. He's minding his business. She's like, he looks really familiar. And I'm like, yeah, but not really paying attention to her, you know, looking at shiny things. And she rolls up on him. And says, did you, did you go to Howard? He no, she did up. not go up to Jim Jones. Walked right up to him. <laughs> <laughs> and he turns to her and says, yeah, ma. <laughs> Class of that 2010. Me too. <laughs> that is the best. Sure. Oh, my God. That's the best thing I've ever heard. But, Joy, for you, really, this HBCU, like... 
this is in your blood, right? Like HBCU is deep within your family. Tell us about that. Gang in, gang out. You feel like you married into the mob. I was born into this, okay? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I was born into this. My mom graduated from Central State. My dad graduated from Norfolk State. My sister went to Norfolk State. Another sister went to Hampton. Mm. When she left Hampton, she went to Delaware State. I have nephew going to Norfolk State. I graduated from Howard University. Aunts, uncles, everybody has gone and graduated from an HBCU. Love it. And yeah, the gang, gang, gang out, guys. We didn't have, well, we did have a choice. We, we did have a choice, but we, we chose correctly. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, I'm, yeah, I want to ask you about that because you had the choice, but you told us that you went to, you went to a Norfolk State homecoming that just kind of sealed the deal for you. They messed up. They, that was my parents' fault. So I'm from originally from Delaware, and it's much cheaper to pay in-state tuition if you go to University of Delaware. And right. they bribed each and every one of us with a car, saying, if you go to University of Delaware, you know, you get this car, which you yes. need. You need yes. so much because you need to leave Delaware, right? <laughs> and so we were like, mm-hmm, that's cute, but... The entire time we were growing up, they would take us to Norfolk State homecomings and you see the glitter, the gold, and behold, the green and gold, and these kicks and these high kicks and the band and the drum line. And the second you see that, you're not going to go to a University of Delaware game. It's like... Right. right, right. <laughs> <laughs> the saddest drum line. Not against that drum line, honey. Not against that drum line. I love that. I just, I died. As a member of a, of a Black Greek letter organization, I definitely know what it is to really tap into that network. I certainly have not only tapped into the networks of my sores, but just of the Black Greek letter organization in mm-hmm. general, the network of, you know, my husband's an alpha, you know, some of my best friends are deltas. I, I definitely know what it is to walk into a room and to see somebody's letters and be like, oh, I, I feel you, right? And to feel like you have that connection. But I've always been really jealous of the fact that I feel like my HBCU graduate friends have been able to go to any city, any job, and to really tap into a network that, you know, and I've moved around quite a bit. I've lived everywhere from Chicago, New York, Atlanta, LA, and DC. And every time I've moved, I've always been really envious of how easily my friends who went to HBCUs can really tap into a network. Chelsea, I want you to hop in here. You know, what's your perspective been as a PWI grad? Have you been able to, I know Yale certainly has a strong network, but it's Mm -hmm. so different from the HBCU network. It's, it's so different. The Yale network is large and in charge, let's say but maybe not in the places that I wanted to be in, nor Mm. do I have any desire to be in today. Mm. Um, So I Mm. can definitely, and I think like that is one of the biggest things that I'm very jealous of too, of like Mm. being able to be put in a position to be where you want to go. Right. And like that pipeline that I think I missed out on. And, you know, my brothers, I shared earlier, both went to HBCUs. My oldest brother went to Howard and my other brother went to Morehouse. And I, like the fact that I've been able to tap into their networks, like yes. you said, Danielle, with Jonathan. And like literally, this was last year, you and I, we had yes. an event that we needed to program. It was three days out. The per in LA, the person yes. who was supposed to be in it dropped out at the last minute. We had yes. talent that needed to be in Like it was happening, whether we liked it or not. Right. <laughs> the train I was leaving the station. It truly. I was like, <laughs> well, it's gonna be an empty chair then. <laughs> and I called my brother I, and I was like, Ed, like I really like I need someone to fill this chair anyone and he said like I got you 15 minutes later I get an email from a person hi I'm a writer and so my that you needed me I can be there at this time just tell me what you need and we're good to go and what do I need to wear literally that was it no questions no concerns Yes. Yeah. Shout out to Natasha Gray for joining our panel last minute. Yes, exactly. Super, she super dope. Fanta- she was fantastic. She was too. fantastic. And of course, like, like we had any other question that she Amazing. would be. Like, yeah. Yeah. And also, I mean, she was, uh, that panel was with Wanda Sykes and exactly. I remember hearing them have a conversation about working together. Right. So yes. like now it's like, there you go. There's that HBCU connection of like, mm-hmm. you know, her homie from HBCU put her in touch exactly. to be on a panel, not only saving you, but also potentially hooking her up for her next situation, which yep. is amazing. And we're going to get into that a bit more. Joy, now that we have both told you that we're jealous of you, tell <laughs> us <laughs> tell us a little bit about you know your own experience graduating from Howard 
and being able to tap into your network, whether it was personally or professionally. Yeah. uh, One of my favorite professors, God rest his soul, Professor Ernie Fierce, he was my radio and communication sales teacher, said, do you really think you're here to make friends? Mm. He was like, these are all extensions of your network. Yes. Yes. I love that so much. And I think it's so beautiful, you know, the spaces we create as Black people, right? And Mm. how we take care of each other as a result of that. Like I said, I certainly have felt that way as a member of a Black Greek letter organization. I feel like if I walk into a room, let me tell you, if I walk into a room and I see a hint of pink and green on anybody's anything, (laughs) I'm like, oh, sis, we are good. You running up on like Jim Jones? You running up on like Jim Jones? (laughs) I'll be like, and I'll try to be real slick with it. Like, oh, yes, hi. Soror, and she'll be like, oh, so okay. <laughs> I am, it's a done deal. Now, we have started out very kosher, and this is very cute, and we're talking about professionalism and all that, and all right, that's great, but let's get dirty, and let's talk about dating, okay? Let's talk about <laughs> the hookup, okay, in school, because I will be honest, I went to school with maybe 12 black men, okay? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. that created quite a, uh, let's call it tense environment. (laughs) I was going to say competitive. (laughs) You know, that's a nice word. (laughs) It created quite an interestingly tense environment for me in undergrad. And, you know, I think that we dated differently. We just had, Mm -hmm. you know, for so many reasons. Again, so numbers certainly contributed to that. Sad, sad state of affairs, honey. Sad. Truly. (laughs) You know, one thing I've talked to my husband a lot about is, you know, the way that Hampton operated in terms of like curfews and, Mm. you know, in having separate male and female dorms and how that contributed to the dating culture on campus. And, you know, I've talked to him about that and I've been like, that's lame. Y'all had to be tired at whatever time because I was out here drinking beers with the white boys. Mm -hmm. But I realized that we never really like dated like that in college. And so much of that was because we were running around being raggedy. Like we Mm -hmm. were just out here drunk in the middle of the hallway in our co-ed dorm. So Joy, (laughs) talk to me a little bit about, you know, do you feel like the way Howard handled relationships between men and women, do you feel that contributed to a different kind of dating scene? That's really an interesting perspective. And I I guess being in it, I didn't really look at it that way. But yes, we definitely had the respectable hours and curfew Mm -hmm. for your male visitors. Your freshman year was, Mm -hmm. I believe, at 11. And if you were in still, if you were still in a female dorm your sophomore year, same thing, right? So as long as you were in a a one sex dorm, you had the opposite sex curfew. It wasn't Mm -hmm. until you started going into (laughs) the co-ed dorms that things were different. And I guess you, one would assume, or you could assume that there would be a level of respect there because you're supposed to be living, you know, respectable hours. And (laughs) some of your majors, you had a chapel credit that you had to Mm -hmm. to fulfill. So you had to be in in chapel on Sundays. That was not my major. That was not my calling. Mm -hmm. But (laughs) Not your ministry, like we say here. (laughs) But yeah, there's a way around everything. Right. The answer to that. (laughs) So... (laughs) That is not where I thought you were going to end up, but I'm so glad you did. I'm glad you took it there. (laughs) Where there's a will, there's a way, and we found it, honey. So you (laughs) you would not like to be caught in the freshman male's dorm dressed in your hoodie and your Tim's. trying to creep in or out but right, I was gonna say that walk of shame that walk of shame child because <laughs> you go you, you know you're trying to not you know switch or have your booty poke out too much you try mm-hmm. to pass for a dude I mm-hmm. mean I'm not saying I did that but I just know people who did do that you, you seem to you know, know a lot about it since <laughs> the freshman dorm wasn't wasn't where I snuck in it was the athletic dorm that's where my mm-hmm. was. but in any case um <laughs> The secrets are coming out. The secrets are coming out. (laughs) I want to talk about numbers too, because, you know, I grew up and I mentioned this on uh, earlier in the season that, you know, my introduction to HBCUs was through a different world. And I thought that I was going to meet my Dwayne Wayne and that I was going to get married. Look at God, because I ended up, I did. (laughs) And I didn't even have to go to an HBCU to do it. But, um, you know, the numbers just weren't there. Like, I remember getting to school and being like, I'm not going to be my husband because there's not enough people here. Chelsea, t- 
talk to me a little bit about, you know, how that operated at Yale. Just like if you're a black woman looking for a black partner, man or man or woman, if you if you're in a school where just the numbers don't support that, it really skews your your perception, especially for us coming from a generation like I come from a generation of mamas and aunties and uncles who are like, you better go find your husband. Yep. You better go to school and find you a good black man. And then, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, but you get there and you realize that finding a partner is a little bit more complicated when the numbers just don't support it. No, not at all. Just like the the math doesn't add up. Yes. And I think it, it's so interesting because because there were so few also, you know, at Yale, and because hmm, <laughs> not all of them were uh, great options. How about that? Okay. That's, that's such a nice other, way to say it. They're you know weird. I, well, I'm just They're saying, nerdy. you know, like some of them They're were just pure looking. trash. And yes. I can't, like I, like, I just, like, it is what it is. That yes. has nothing to do with where you are at college. It's just like where you are as a human being. And like, yes. <laughs> I can't like, you know what I mean? Like the way my bank account set up, like I can't take that on. Like I can't take on that kind of debt, to be honest, if we're talking about math and like things adding up. So it's it's a pass for me overall. But so like dealing with that, you know what I mean? If you have only 12 and then maybe four of them are, um, you know, right for the picking. I four know. Is generous. Four, four is a lot. Four I started out very high. <laughs> 1.5 okay. um, are, are viable candidates. It makes Amen. it so much harder. Yeah. And I think for me, and, and I have like very taste and it's something that I've had to like really reckon with too, because I've also, I think because of that and because of the way that I grew up in school and because of like when I was, you know, reaching maturity, there weren't as many. Right. I came from like a scarcity mindset, right? Mm-hmm. Of like, okay, so not only are there like so few of them, then I have to change the way that I act so that I can Mm. get one of those few. Mm. You know what I mean? So I was trying to like be something Mm. these like for these black men who like, I was like, that's actually not me. But I was trying to, again, fit this mold of what these 12 or 10 or five or three black men wanted. Mm. And it made me realize like, oh, okay, like that's actually not the way I want to move. And that's not necessarily the, the factors that I want in a relationship. Love um, that. So wow, wow. It, it took a lot also, like, again, of just like unlearning and yes. like sort of like rewashing, like what I was actually looking for and what I was interested because I never even saw it. So That's I had, powerful. I just like, didn't have an example. That's powerful. That's that really, really powerful. powerful. Yeah. Wow. Oh my yeah, God. That, that, that number games will, will do a job on you. That does. Listen, listen. And, and, and I don't do math. Okay. Mm-hmm. So seriously, <laughs> Joy, I want to talk a little bit. We've talked a bit earlier in the season about respectability politics and how they, you know, play themselves out in HBCU, on HBCU campuses. I want you to talk to us a little bit about did that affect dating, right? Was it very much like you wanted to be seen as a certain kind of girl? Earlier in the season, we had Scotty Beam and Sylvia O'Bell join us who talked and Scotty specifically talked about that the tensioning, the characteristics between a Clark Atlanta girl and a Spellman girl. That is a good question. I could tell you, you did not want to be the girl, again, sneaking into the man's freshman dorm because mm. you were called, you were literally called a Drew Rat. Drew Hall was the name of that, that dorm. Mm. If you were ever caught in that dorm, you were a Drew Rat. And so therefore, mm. you're, yeah, that was an area of respectability where it would go down. Your stock went down. Yes. We definitely, in ter- she, that's the one name I can really think of because to be honest with you, truly, truly honest with you, when you step on Howard's campus or when I stepped on Howard's campus for the very first time as a student, the very first thing I said was, oh my gosh, I had no idea there were so many different types of Black people. Mm, mm, right. So Chelsea, where you felt like you had to change yourself to adjust and adapt to other people, mm-hmm. we feel more emboldened and empowered to tap into ourselves right, mm. and to become our true selves. So if that meant for your calling to adjust yourself to be in a relationship and be a girl, a dateable girl based off of whoever you had a crush on, mm-hmm. then yeah, of course you're going to adjust and adapt because that's who you're, you're, you're trying to figure out who you are. If you find out that you, you, you've always liked skateboarding, but because you grew up in the hood, you didn't, you, you got made fun of for skateboarding. Right. You find right. your little skater crew, you get your little baggy pants and your tank top, no bra and go get on a skateboard, honey. <laughs> and so like, it was. Not I no bra. <laughs> 
I'm, I'm sorry. So I couldn't. I couldn't ignore that. I couldn't ignore that. <laughs> and this is what I'm. I'm so jealous. This whole Truly. episode, really, this whole episode is about me being jealous, y'all. But I'm so jealous of that freedom to be mm-hmm. who you wanted to be and to figure out and to see how how you know, we're not a monolith, like how different we are as black people. Because I do think to Chelsea's point that I felt like I needed to like fit into whatever this little box was because there were so few of us. The the freedom, especially because I love as black women, you could be whoever. You could have faux locks the next day, you looking like Freddie, okay? And the (laughs) next day you looking like Whitley. It doesn't, like you can be whoever. And I love that you can really come into your your own that way. And even just like... Like ask, like, do I even want this? This right. person, this job, exactly. this class, this, these people, like the freedom to even ask yourself and answer, like, what do I really want? Absolutely. Is like, that's amazing. I Absolutely. might not even want to date anybody on Howard Street. Right. Right. Yes. DC is a college yes. town. I can go to American. I can go to uh, um, yes. Georgetown. If yes. I want to get tricky and learn a little sign language, I can go to Gallaudet. Okay. Oh, so yes. I could go wherever <laughs> I want to go. Options. Or I could go ahead and date me a lovely DC native. Go to the yeah. curry out, give me some new balances. Get not some the curry out. Hello? <laughs> and so... <laughs> <laughs> you really you better, have options. You better let folks know. We better rep from Maryland. <laughs> you probably learned more dating somebody from DC than you did at Howard. You okay? probably did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the other thing I think I have to add that I'm envious of that I don't really feel like I experienced in college was men who wanted to get married eventually, right? Like mm. I, 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 one thing I, I definitely experienced through my husband's network is they're all very much men who want to settle down and want to have a family and we're looking we're intentionally dating in that way and i just think that that's that's an incredible unique aspect of the hbcu experience that i don't know that i had at a pwi chelsea i don't know about you yeah no not at all and i think also like thinking about options and thinking about when the politics also of like dating outside of your race and the like idea of like okay again this is someone who I'm dating not someone who I'm bringing home right Mm -hmm. and that I think in college especially at a PWI whether again whether you're dating someone who's black or someone who's outside of your race there is some of that right that like okay this is where I'm gonna have fun but this isn't what I'm gonna like do and bring home because I'm about to be a senator in 20 years you know what I mean like it's that kind of energy which is like very very distinct and different and it's it's actually really dangerous thinking too Mm -hmm. because it it like gives you a complex and it definitely gave me a complex about what kind of girl I was and whether or not I was even dateable period when it's actually like again that's not even the question it's just since you had no options Wow, (laughs) like genuinely and like again maybe it's not you right (laughs) say it say it louder for the girls you know maybe it's not you okay maybe it's them (laughs) for for all for all of our our sisters that are at white schools sis you have no options and it gets better just get out of there it does (laughs) get your degree and come on home like we said please (laughs) get get your degree and get yours okay yes (laughs) so now that we have had you know the spicy part of our discussion i want to bring it back around to, you know, the fact that HBCU networks really do hook you up in the professional space. And Joy, I'd love for you to talk to us a little bit about, you know, both how you have looked out for HBCU grads in your work and how HBCU grads have looked out for you in as a professional. Right. It goes from Black folks giving each other the head nod, because you're always going to look out for someone that, that you see in the office and just do the do the nod. Yes. But the second you say your HBCU or your Greek organization, it goes from a head nod to a hug, right? Yes. So, <laughs> it's just like, well, then come on in here. Why didn't you tell me that from the get-go? Yes. So literally that has happened to me as I have come up in my career. And so mm-hmm. I do the same for everyone that I come in contact with. Yes. And so when I'm looking at resumes, when I'm, when I'm interviewing candidates, it's not like I will definitely like default to a HBCU, right. but I will look at them a little differently. I, there was one application or resume that I saw come across my desk. The, the person had no chance of, of getting the position that I was hiring for, but I could see areas of improvement for her resume. And uh-huh. I literally called her up and just said, hi, you know, I saw that you applied for this role. I do have a few pointers. If you're open and willing 
to to hear them out. Wow. Mm. Ended up having a great conversation with her. She stayed in touch with me. She went on to do great things, right? I but love that. Yeah. <laughs> it just it's someone poured into me, so therefore I will always pour uh. to someone else. Uh. And <laughs> it just it's it's your duty, your obligation, but you are proud to do it. And because you know you did it, they will do it for someone else. Extended family. I yeah. love that. That is beautiful. I love that so much. We have reached my very favorite part of every episode, the Don't At Me segment of the podcast. For those of you who are new listeners, the Don't At Me segment is the portion of our show where we tie a nice little bow on our conversation and we come to our decision. The catch is you cannot add us, whether you agree or disagree. Like my auntie Nene Leak said, I said what I said. End of story, period. (laughs) So today's don't at me will come courtesy of yours truly. As Black folks, we've had to create our own spaces because we're not always welcome in all of the places, bars, and this goes generations back. We've, we've created communities and campuses where we truly feel like family, whether you are on the yard or you're away from home and you're in the corporate boardroom. Whether you are an HBCU graduate, married to an HBCU alum, whether you're in finance or Hollywood, You have a family no matter where you go. You've had the ability to learn about your community, to learn how different we all are, that we are not a monolith, that you can figure out your dating preferences, who you love, how you want to love others and yourself. And you can then go and be loved by others and yourself, no matter where you are. It can be far away, from your college home. It can be in your college dorm. You will be treated like family no matter where you are. We are so fortunate to have the strong and incredible legacy of HBCU colleges and campuses, not only as graduates, but as a Black community. Where would we be without the family that's been created as a result. I personally have felt less alone because of HBCUs and that's without having attended one. And so as we wrap this season, I want to respect the legacy that our ancestors and the seeds that our ancestors sowed for us centuries ago when they gifted us with the honor of being part of a family no matter where we were. And so to HBCU graduates and students, hats off to you for prioritizing who you are as Black people. And to my PWI graduates and students, tap into that community and to that network, into that love. This is who we are as a people. This world isn't always kind to us, but we will be kind to each other and we will continue to create spaces where we can always feel at home. Don't at me. Season three of the Go Off Sis podcast was made possible by Target, our home for style this HBCU homecoming season. Whether you're an HBCU student, fan, auntie, or alum, Target is here to elevate your creativity and hype your personal style this fall. As we continue to celebrate our sisterhood and the joy of our legacy building reunions, Target gives us the power to showcase our individuality and embrace our communities with pride right on time. Whether we're on the yard or gathering virtually this fall, we are still going to be serving looks. Head over to Target.com or the Target app to check out all their style options and take your celebrations to the next level. We are so excited to close this season out with someone who 
is such a star and who we know you'll be hearing a lot about over the next few months. The amazing Javicia Leslie is here with us today. Not only is she a proud Hampton graduate, she is also now CW's new Batwoman and the first Black woman to play this role. Pause for reaction and claps, please. Mm-hmm. <laughs> She's on all the hot lists right now, giving us that next big thing energy. And as the kids say, we love to see it. Javicia, welcome to the Go Off Sis podcast. Thank you for having me. Wait, are we now separated that we think, as the kids say, <laughs> we're not the kids anymore? <laughs> I don't feel like I'm the kids anymore. My knees aren't kids. I was going to say, I don't have Megan the Stallion knees, so I feel like I'm not the kids. I'm not not the kids. Javicia, thank you so much for, for being here with us today. And, you know, as we've said, this entire season has been about HBCU and HBCU legacies. And we were just talking about how HBCU alumni can kind of throw up their own bat signal, right? For support and just (laughs) tapping into like the network, right? I feel like anywhere I go, I I was joking about how like anywhere we are, Jonathan, we'll be in the supermarket, we'll be on the street. Jonathan's like, oh, I know that person. They went to Hampton. And I'm like, how you know every black person? Like, I just don't understand. Like, and so I feel like, you know, wherever you are in whatever city, community, both personally and professionally, you you can throw up a bat signal to a certain extent and tap into your network. You know, it's interesting because even in the film and television industry, we have a lot of alumni Mm -hmm. that are casting directors, directors, producers, writers. And on my journey here, I've met so many and I had so many that looked out or, you know, gave special interest or said, you know, hey, take one more look at this one. She's a handsome alum, you know. So it definitely has played its beautiful role and the development of my career. And then also just to see how any success that happens is so representative for whether you went to Hampton, go to Hampton or about to go to Hampton, which is so many people. And to see that something that I'm doing over here can be, can feel represented by so many people. That's super major and very, you know, it's, it's just very satisfying. I love that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love I love that you mentioned just the network that exists even, you know, in Hollywood, like just being mm-hmm. able to somebody sliding your resume over and being like, actually, take one more look because I am connect like there's that connection just being part of an alumni network. Right. Sometimes you don't even know someone personally, but it's like, oh, this is family because this person is like, I mean, even for for me, like, I felt like, again, like I'm not a, a Hampton graduate, but I feel like I've been like accepted into the Hampton family. <laughs> um, Hampton's you know? like that though. Yes, Hampton yes. specifically, I can't speak for any other school because that's the only school that I went to, but Hampton specifically, once they accept you, you are in there and you will hmm. be at every wedding, every baby shower, every celebration, every everything. Like you <laughs> yes. are family now. <laughs> yes, exactly. No, the love is real. As a graduate of Howard University, the love is always real for all HBCUs. But in particular, when you see a Howard person on screen, then that's that's you. That's your success. That's you. you are yeah. in the family. You're <laughs> like, yes, that's my people right there. Um, so the the pride and and is real, and the love is always always consistent. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I do have a question about your your career path. Did you study acting at Hampton or how, how did you end up here? So at Hampton, my major was business management. And what I did, because, you know, with a lot of Black families, there's this idea of like, you can love the arts as much as you want, but you really have to have something to support you just in case, just in case yep, you need yep, a plan B. B plan. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And then when I graduated from Hampton, I moved back to D.C. And um, I was working for the government for like a year and a half. So, Javicia, you, you said you left your good government job to pursue acting. Now, you know, yeah. you're in the black community. You don't never leave no good government job, girl. <laughs> you, sound like my, you sound like my mom. <laughs> but I kind of felt like this was a great opportunity to make my move. And so I had already made that decision. My contract was coming into an end January 2012. So May 2011. This is, this is, this is the idea of like, 
if you believe so much in something, you just do it not to the point that you don't even create a plan B. So mm-hmm. in May 2011, I bought a one-way ticket to Los Angeles, California. Mm. Speaking mm-hmm. it into existence, right? I think a lot of people right now are like in this same situation, right? Where they're like, well, what do I want to do, right? right? They're sitting at home, sitting in the Zooms all day. Like, what does it look like for me to speak it out loud and do it? And look what you can do when you just actually genuinely believe in yourself too. Yes. It was not for me, but if you look at it in a very scientific way and you follow a certain set of steps, Mm. you speak out into existence the things you want. You write every day so that you can find yourself. When you're writing every day, your spirit starts to express itself as time develops, as, Mm. as your, Mm. as your spirit starts to be able to trust the pen and the paper to know that its secrets are safe there. Yes. It will really start to open up and reveal itself. And from there, you can start finding parts of yourself that's connected to things you would never have known you were connected to. Yes. And then it just continues to unravel. I can go on a rampage with this, so Ooh, I'll stop. You through with the sermon. I love a sermon. <laughs> I love a sermon. <laughs> I truly, and I think all that you're saying is just about being intentional, right? And sometimes things fall apart so other better things can come together. Sometimes that's a hard lesson. I'm saying it out loud for myself because sometimes I need to learn that too. (laughs) But, you know, like Danielle said, this season is all about HBCUs and homecoming. And homecoming obviously is something that looks very, very different this year, whether that's virtually or not at all. And so thinking about your experience celebrating, can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, you know, um, last year was actually my first time going back for homecoming since I graduated from Hampton University. So mm-hmm. my 10 year was my first year. And that was my first year as an alum. And the experience was amazing. I went with like some of my closest girlfriends. We got an Airbnb right across the water. So we were able to just get to campus in like five minutes. And we turned up the entire weekend. We got to see everybody. Everybody looks great. You know, sometimes you come back, whether it be a high school reunion or whatever union, you're like, oh, kind of <laughs> hit y'all. Kind of not been kind. <laughs> Again, as Danielle and I went to PWIs, we right. know that. We know. <laughs> yeah. You're like, what have you been doing? Lay off the cigarettes. Um, HBCUs are different. They... You know that that's the the black 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 people, and they <laughs> look good. Like I was so proud to see my classmates and to see them just doing good and flourishing. And I mean, we we literally literally turned up the entire weekend mm-hmm. from beginning till end. How'd your knees feel at the end? <laughs> you know, <laughs> my knees felt okay. Um, I just don't remember a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say that. I was going to say, first of all, shout out to your whole crew who I've, I met that year at, at your tenure, who are a, just amazing group of black women. And I don't know that I remember a lot either, but, you know, I at least I at least remember meetings. So, you know, yeah, I don't think I remember much else. <laughs> yeah. You know, we made it through. It was almost like when you prepare for homecoming, you come into the kitchen <laughs> and there's more liquor than there is food. <laughs> so, guys. What are we going to eat? So we're about it later. We're about now, later. Right. Now, are you guys going to do anything virtually this year? Or is, are you guys connecting at all? Are you? I kind of always leave that on uh, Trey and them to tell me. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I I, I kind of like, they'll just randomly FaceTime me and say, Beast, what you doing? I'm like, all right, it's time. Like, let me get my bottle. And we'll just like sit and drink and like talk to each other and stuff. Yeah. But yeah, no, I love that. I mean, you definitely have to stay focused, but you still have your community keeping you in the loop, which is just, which is amazing. Let's, let's talk about your role a little bit more. You auditioned for this role in a pandemic at at like a hugely intense and tough time for our community and our country. And at a time when Hollywood was questioning, you know, some of its specific casting roles, especially when it comes to whitewashing or misrepresenting characters, Tell us what that was like and, you know, how how that makes this role different for you on a personal level, especially coming into this role that was once portrayed by a white person now being portrayed by a Black woman. So when I was in New York filming God Friended Me, one of the things that was very important to me, because I kind of felt like we weren't going to get renewed towards mm-hmm. the end of the second season. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that was very important to me was 
manifesting what I wanted next. Mm. I didn't want to just be on a show. I mm. wanted to be very specific. Mm. I manifested Batwoman. I was so specific. Mm. I told God, I was like, I want to be a number one or a number two, but I'm going to be a number one on a show. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I wanted action because mm. that was very important because I'm, I'm very athletic and I wanted something that I could express myself physically. Mm. And I wanted someone, I wanted to be a badass. I mm. no longer wanted to be the cute girl that's someone's girlfriend or someone's whatever. You know, I wanted to be the person that's, that's kicking ass and taking names later. You know mm. what I mean? And I got so specific. I said, I want a superhero role. Mm. The audition, first of all, I didn't follow the show that much before. My, my executive producer from God Friend Me was their pilot director. So I knew about the show. I knew some things that were going on with the show. And that was pretty much it. Mm. That's as much as I knew. I love Batman. So I knew that there was going to be a time where I was going to catch up on Batwoman. But I was filming. So I didn't have the time to watch anything. So in May, I'm doing the interview with the Re Podcast. And I tell them like, okay, yeah, the next role I'm manifesting is a superhero role. Then two weeks later, I get the audition for Ryan Wilder is what the audition says. and it says may develop into Batwoman or something like that. And I was just so confused. I'm like, wait, what happened to Batwoman? And so I look up the information and I'm like, Oh, like she's gone. She's no longer on the show. So they're basically Mm -hmm. recasting Batwoman. Mm -hmm. And so I auditioned and we did it through self tape. And as soon as I auditioned, I called my director and I said, Hey, I'm auditioning for Batwoman. Like, you know, any notes that you can give me on, on the energy that they want. And I had him look at my self tape. He was like, no, your energy is great. Everything. He was like, my notes are about you being a number one. Like the show is going to take a lot and it's going to, it has a lot of responsibility to carry. And I know that you're ready for it, but I want you to know everything that it comes with. And Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, cool. So I hadn't heard back from my audition. And the first thing I thought was, they're not going to cast a black bat woman. Like, mm, mm, why am I even mm, tripping? Like, mm. this is dope. I think I killed it, but like, I don't think they're, they're going to cast a black bat woman. And then also they already had two other black characters on the show. And I mean, as a black woman, we are a black person in general. We know this, that once you get more of us than them, then it starts to look like a black show and no one wants that. Mm, <laughs> right, you know what I mean? And I hate to say that, but that's the PTSD we have as black actors. Yes. Yes, exactly. it is. Yeah. 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 So I came back and they said, hey, we want to test you. And what that means is that I'll go in front of network and studio and the producers and everybody, and then I'll audition in front of them. Mm. And so, man, whew, that day I was like, this is everything. This is for everything. Like, <laughs> and then the first thing she says, how do you feel about action? I was like, action. And I sent over like this reel of me doing all the things I love to do, my Muay Thai fighting, my, my, all my fitness reel and stuff like that. And she was like, okay, okay, I get it. (laughs) I found out two days later that I booked the role. Oh, amazing. I love that. I always think of Catwoman and Eartha Kitt, who was like, Mm -hmm. that's, that's, it's the mic drop. It's the end. But Mm -hmm. I I also didn't realize that she had taken over for Julie Newmar earlier Mm -hmm. for the later season. So I'm wondering how you think that taking this role over, like what specific lens or point of view or characteristics do you want to give Ryan that maybe we didn't see as much of in season one? And, and what does that look like you playing that as a black woman? Well, so the difference with Catwoman and Batwoman is that she was recast. Mm-hmm. I am a completely new character. Mm-hmm. So I don't have to play into anything that's already mm-hmm. been done. And yeah. that's what I love. Like, they're not trying to make me Kate Kane. That's mm. been done. And and it's not like, it's comics. So no one's story is ever over. I'm sure they'll right. re- revisit Kate Kane's story in another version of Batwoman. Right. But right now, on the CW's WB version of Batwoman, she's black. Yeah, she's very well. Amen. Say it, Say it with your chest. And everybody that has a problem with it can get over it. Yes. Most of these people that have problems with it don't even watch the show. They yes. just don't like the fact that oh, there was a white female lead and now there's a black female yes. lead. Yes. Yes. Her and I don't even have issues. So why do you have an issue? Mm. Get over it. Come on. Mm. Okay. Yes. <laughs> I was waiting for this energy. <laughs> <laughs> and to give another face of a superhero for kids to be able to, yes. um, mm-hmm. to, to yes. yeah, we, 
yeah, we could have created another superhero. I agree. Right. But it doesn't matter because right, right. now Batwoman is black. Yes. And that yep. means that all these little girls can put on their curly wigs with their bat cows and all this other stuff and go feel represented. You Oof. know what I mean? Like yes. that's what the mm. point is. Especially with Chad's passing, yes. that is the point. And no one can take that from us. Mm-hmm. There are so many people that feel like black folks don't have a place in the comic world, Mm -hmm. but we are pushing back on that. You know, like obviously with the incredible success of Black Panther, we are creating a space for ourselves in this comic world. And yeah, I would, I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about just the weight of the representation of a black Batwoman, you know, especially in the wake of Chadwick's passing that I think that hit our community. It took the breath out of us, right? Because there was something so powerful about him being in that role and and the representation that came as a result of that. I see these little kids and the way that they interact with this character is, is incredible. And, and there's an opportunity now for that to happen with Batwoman as a result of you, for, for you. What does that mean to you? Like, what does, how do you feel about that? You know, when I first got the role, when you're an actor, you can, you can manifest what you want, but you're going to audition for everything. You know Mm. what I mean? And before Batwoman, I auditioned for a few roles Mm. and I felt like I killed those auditions. So I could have been booked (laughs) in another role and never even had the chance to audition for Batwoman. Mm. But that, that was, that was what was waiting for me. And that's why I didn't get those other roles. And so Originally, when you get a role, you're like, okay, this is the role. And there's no, there's no societal responsibilities to most roles that we get. You know, like mm-hmm. my only societal responsibility for my role of Allie was that she was in the LGBTQ community. So I need, so I felt amazing to be able to represent that and that she was fighting cancer. So I was, I felt amazing to be able to tell that story, you mm-hmm. know, but your normal characters, they don't represent like such huge populations like they don't represent such a major they don't represent culture so like Mm -hmm. like in that kind of way right right and so when I realized what that was and I started to see the pictures of the little kids and and like there that there was this picture of this little girl and the dad took the picture he said that when his daughter saw the the casting she said dad that woman looks like me Mm -hmm. (laughs) like just to see that and to hear that that is the point right and I didn't realize that until maybe three or four hours after I got it, that set in. And I was just like, oh, wow. Okay. This is, this is what this is. Mm. And to know that Chad was battling cancer and at a time doing something so monumental for us. Mm. And I'm sure he went through the same thing. I'm sure he was auditioning for the role because he wanted the role. Right. And then he got it and then he was like, oh shit, I'm Black Panther. Right. Like, I'm Black Panther. You know what I mean? This mm. ain't for me anymore. This is for the people, yeah. you know? Mm. Yeah. And then to know that his body was fighting itself the entire time. I do my own stunts on this show. So I'm mm. like constantly doing Ooh. stuff and, and then I'll get tired and I'm like, nah, Chad did it. I can do it. Like, right. and that's kind uh, of like, that's mm. like my new mentality. What would Chad do? You know, I like it, it's, it's just a constant reminder that weakness begins in the mind Mm. And that's the one thing we are able to control through practice. Mm. So if you truly put the work in, the effort in to be able to say, I can go one step further. You know what? Now I can go one more step further. Real change can happen. Oh, I love that. That's amazing. Love. Love that. Well, I want to also just like dig into that a little bit, right? Because you're also, you know, pretty vocal on social right now and and speaking up and speaking out about issues in our community and bringing up really salient points and just really bringing attention to the conversations that need to happen around racial justice. So as you step into this role and assume those responsibilities, what does that look like? How How do you navigate sharing and speaking out understanding that, you know, people are going to have negative reactions and you set that aside, but, you know, sometimes they might catch you on a Friday (laughs) when, you know, your patience is up. Like, what does that look like navigating that responsibility in, you know, this, today's world? They caught me on a Monday this week (laughs) and I barely, (laughs) and I barely had a weekend because we worked a Friday day, which means that we worked basically all the way through Saturday morning and so Saturday, I pretty much slept all day and Sunday was the only day I had. So I came on Monday still tired and I read some stuff and I was just like, 
I almost broke and I was just like so distracted. And it, what, it, how can you pray for something so hard mm. and God give it to you because he knows you're strong enough to take it and you allow some weak weakling that's at home miserable with their everyday life because they're not choosing to walk in their purpose. So they're trying to infect other happy and, and purposeful people with mm. their negativity. Mm. I was so mad at myself, but I mean, I have like this like extreme hate, <laughs> not a love hate, a like extreme hate for <laughs> social media. Mm. Uh-huh. And I'm trying to find my balance and I'm working on myself with that because, you know, people will always say, well, don't let the negative stuff get to you. That's not how your spirit takes things. So mm. it's like acting, right? And acting, mm. if I'm doing an emotional scene and I start crying, my spirit doesn't know that I'm not crying. Mm. You know, like my spirit is like, oh my, my body know, is like, oh my gosh, something's wrong. She's sad. You know what right. I mean? So if I'm reading things and I, and I see, go girl, go off girl. <laughs> if I see, you know, yes, black, that woman, da, 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 my spirit is taking that as like little pieces of dopamine, like little shots of mm-hmm. dopamine, like, mm-hmm. ooh, yeah, uh-huh. And then like, <laughs> <laughs> and then like my, in the same breath, my spirit reads, this is disgusting. There's no such thing as a black bat woman, da, 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 like the comments that I'll get. I know they ain't shit, but my spirit doesn't know that. My mm. spirit is seeing it and my spirit is taking it in. And then it's questioning itself. Mm. And it's infecting itself. And so I actually haven't been on Instagram since Monday because of that, because I was just like, this isn't healthy. It's not doing anything for my mental either way. Yeah, absolutely. Self-preservation, self-preservation, self-preservation. But it's also hard because, you know, every decision, everything you say is Bible to people that are watching. Like, that's what she said. That means she lives by that. And if you do anything that's opposite of it, they're going to burn you at the stake. Yeah they don't even know how they feel. They're just listening and just saying, okay. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, and it's, we talk a lot about this on the podcast this season too, of like learning, but also like unlearning things mm. that aren't feeding you, that aren't serving us and ultimately are actually just wrong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so all of this. Yes. 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 100%. Okay. We have to ask you manifest your next role, sis. What, is, what do you see yourself? Oh, heck doing yeah. Next? <laughs> Heck yeah. So the next thing that I, well, two things, I'm a director as well. And Mm, so my manifestation is that the film that I directed over the summer is going to go into some major film festivals, Mm, get some major awards. And that's going to take us on a, on a nice little film festival tour. The second thing is I'm directing another film in May. And I think that that film is going to be epic and I am manifesting that feature Hello. to receive its recognition, to, to be able to be seen by so many people. I, I, I work with a writer named Daryl Wesley, and him and I together are just really like a, a, an iconic team. Like he writes amazingly. He's just, he's just an amazing writer, and he's one of my closest friends. And so when I come in to direct, I already know how he thinks. So I'm able to kind of like carve it out and like directing is such a huge part of my passion and my process that I'm just ready for that world to start as well. Nice. Mm. I love that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We're going we gonna to put it out. I'm waiting for the next podcast interview you do when you're like, I was on the go off this podcast. <laughs> I was on the go off hey, this podcast. <laughs> I said, I was very specific. I said, my short is going to get an Oscar nomination. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Javicia, thank you so much. You're He's so, repping so for proud. the HBCU, girl. We yeah. so proud. Take us so proud. <laughs> okay, wait. Before we go, okay, I know we've got a couple. I just need a real HU friendly <laughs> little debate. Let's just have a little friendly real HU. <laughs> With me, there is no debate. <laughs> there is. <laughs> and that's where Howard stands <laughs> oh my goodness you know okay, Hampton's okay so Javicia, classy. rebuttal rebuttal <laughs> Hampton is so classy um I I personally I'm from DC you know and I went to Hampton University I had such a choice and I chose Hampton <laughs> but I love my Howard because we're from DC so you know it's <laughs> <laughs> The 
Go Off Sis podcast is a Refinery29 original. It is produced by Chelsea Sanders, Rashad Isaac, and myself, Danielle Cadet. It's edited by Hanger Studios. Like what you heard and want some more? Head over to Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts to catch up on all episodes. And don't forget to drop a review or leave a comment to let us know what you think. You can also find us where it all started, on Instagram at R29Unbothered. Thanks for listening. And don't forget, it's okay to go off, sis. 